It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Welcome once again, fighting fans, to another episode of Legendary Nights, brought to you by BTR Boxing Podcast. My name is Sean Basto. I am your host, as always, joined by Johnston Brown to break down this episode, which is the tale of Joe Calzaghe versus Jeff Lacey from 2006, a defining night and the beginning of the end for Jeff Left Hook Lacey. Before we get into the episode, of course, I want you guys to go and check us out on social media at Legend Night Pod on Twitter, and you can find the main page, BTR Boxing Podcast, on Facebook. Go and check out all the series that we run and all the latest episodes are posted on there every single week. Also, please go and check us out on all the podcasting apps out there. If you've not already subscribed to us, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spreaker Stitcher, Player FM Tuning, even Spotify. Go and subscribe to the podcast and let us know what you think. If you're an Apple Podcast user, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us go up the charts for the history-based podcast and it's so important that you do leave us a rating and a review. So, without further ado then... Let's get on with this episode. This is the tale of Joe Calzaghe versus Jeff Lethuk Lacey. Another legendary night here for you fight fans and another great British fight night for us recording it because it's Joe Calzaghe versus Jeff Lacey from 2006 said Although some people may not, again, agree with this being a legendary night or whether it fits into that category, for us it certainly does. This was a defining night for Joe Calzaghe and, for me, the beginning and the end for Jeff Lacey. 
Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And honestly, it is one of the best performances I've ever seen from a British fighter in a boxing ring. So, as always with the Legendary Night series, we'll look into the careers of both fighters in the lead-up to it. And we've got Jeff Lacey's career to do and Joe Calzaghe's career to do. And we're going to start with Joe Calzaghe's career. We're going to pick up from 1995. Bearing in mind he made his debut in 1993, we're going to pick up from 95 here. We're going to go for his fight in 95 against Stephen Wilson, first of all, which was a TKO in the 8th round on October the 28th, 1995, at the Royal Albert Hall in London to win the vacant British super middleweight title. This was the fight that Calzaghe made his mark in an impressive and dominant display. And then he goes on to take on Mark Delaney. He was 21-0, and people will always criticise Joe because of the end of his career, in terms of he wasn't knocking as many people out as he used to. And there's a reason for that, and we'll come into that as as we go into his career. Now, Mark Delaney was 21-0, but Joe got a TKO in the fifth round on April the 20th, 1996, at the International Centre in Brentwood, retaining his British super middleweight title. Kalzaki took on the undefeated prospect, known as a big puncher at the time as well. But in this fight, Joe was absolutely ruthless and floored Delaney four times in five rounds before the ref waved the contest off. Yeah, and this, uh, it, it, you mentioned, you touched on a, 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 the factor that we're going to probably bring up in terms of Calzaghe, but Calzaghe at this point, if he could have continued this way, he would have had a lot more knockouts on his resume than he did. But a great win for him against Mark Delaney, undefeated 21-0. Then he moved on to Pat Lawler, who was 21-8. and This was another... TKO in the second round on May 15, 1996 at the Star Centre in Cardiff, Wales. After the knockout win over Lawler, Kalzaghi left Mickey Duff. Mickey Duff, a legendary trainer as well, and a, and a manager, promoter, a bit of everything really, Mickey, but a, a fantastic guy. And in November 1996, Kalzaghi decided to join the Frank Warren stable, which was obviously Queensborough boxing and he was the boxing promoter of Sky Sports back in 1996 for the young listeners that know that he's always been Eddie Hearn, Frank Warren was the man of Sky Sports at one point and uh, Warren was actually quoted after obviously securing the signature of Joe Calzaghe saying Joe Calzaghe is a far better prospect, in fact he is my fighter of the new millennium and I must say he ain't far wrong to be honest with you. (laughs) <laughs> no, he certainly wasn't far wrong. But at this point in time, we weren't to know that because he hadn't had that major, major test. So he moves on from that victory against Pat Lawler and goes on to fight 45-2 and Luciano Torres. And again, got a TKO in the third round on May the 6th, 97 at the Whitechurch Leisure Centre in Bristol in what was another decent win for Joe. Now, Frank Warren spent the summer of 1997 chasing a fight for Calzaghe with either the WBC champion Robin Reed or Irish WBO champion Steve Collins. Now, the fight with Steve Collins was actually officially arranged, but at the very late stage, Collins withdrew due to injury and was stripped of his title before deciding to make the decision to retire. Now, following the retirement of Steve Collins, Frank Warren was able to land a shot against a certain Chris Eubank for the vacant WBO title. Now, I fondly remember this because Joe Calzaghe took on Chris Eubank at the Full Monty show that they did in Sheffield in 1997, which we'll, we'll move on to in a moment. But I'm telling you, this is some great memories right here of, of 
what it was like watching a really young, fresh Joe Calzaghe going in there and, and beating these guys and stopping them and getting this name for himself. And then potentially he was going to fight Steve Collins. The poster was all done, press conferences were all set up, and then obviously he pulled out for injury, decides to retire, and then we get a certain Chris Eubank. Yeah, and, it, and it's, that's the one thing that Joe Calzaghe does mention is the fact that he the one regret in his career was the fact he didn't get Steve Collins. If he had have got Steve Collins and then obviously for Eubank, I think people would have looked at Calzaghe at this point a little bit differently. They would have thought that he fought some of the best fighters, albeit Collins was a little bit older, so it was Eubank. But Eubank went into the fight with Calzaghe, 45-2-2. Two and two. So it was, a, it was a stiff competition, even at this point, and we know the troubles that Eubank had, but... Calzaghe did win. He won a unanimous decision over 12 rounds at, as you said, the Sheffield Arena in Sheffield on October 11, 1997. And, and I've got fond memories of this fight. As well. I, I remember rooting for Calzaghe. And I'll be honest with you, I was, I was at this point, I, I was sort of done with you, Bankies. Just irritate me so much. And I was really on in um, Calzaghe's corner. But Calzaghe did actually put you back down in the first round. It was a hard fought win for Joe. And one he still credits as one of his hardest fights. And Joe said after, the first meaningful shot I threw was a left hook in the first, and he went down. But then he got up, and then he smiled. So I knew this was going to be the toughest fight of my life. And he even said when he hit him and he smiled, he was like, oh, God, here we go. And even Eubanks said out loud on the way back to his dressing room after the fight, when he lost the fight, he said, now I can see why everyone's backing this kid. Yeah, certainly. It was a great fight. That really, really acid test for him. The, the, the so-called acid test they talk about in a fighter's career. And this was certainly it. And he picked up the WBO title and goes on a, a pretty good pretty good long run to be honest with you so we move on and in his third defense of that wbo super middleweight title against juan carlos Jimenez ferreira who was 51 8 and 3 at the national ice rink in cardiff he beat the paraguayan into submission retiring him in the ninth of a scheduled 10 ferreira was no mug he had a decent pedigree after he'd gone the distance with a certain nigel ben Chris Eubank and roberto duran in a 16-year career so again that was a fantastic wow. victory for him even though you know, he was looking at the end of his career. He'd been in with some of the great fighters of years gone by, especially Roberto Duran. Even when he moved up in the weight, he was still a good fighter. We've done his career profile. We've talked about Duran in, in great detail on the Career Profiles podcast. So go and check it out. So we move on for Joe Calzaghe. And his next stop was at the Telewest Arena in Newcastle on the 13th of February 1999 against Robin Reed, the former WBC super middleweight champion of the world. It was 26-1-1. One this fight was always going to be inevitable, as there'd always been a little bit of a better rivalry going on between these two since the amateurs. And Calzaghe was also still pissed off with Robin Reed for not giving him that title shot at the WBC title, which Robin Reed won against Vincenzo Nardello before then losing it to Fellani Malinga in his third defence. So there was this little bit of needle going into this fight anyway. Now, just before the Reed fight, Calzaghe was actually suffering with a hand injury that would become a persistent problem throughout the rest of his stellar career. Now, in a brilliant domestic tear-up, and one that we would highly recommend, go and watch, Calzaghe actually won a very close and somewhat controversial split decision. Ladies and gentlemen, after 12 tremendous rounds of boxing, we have a, a split decision. Judge Robert Bird scores the contest... 116 to 111 in favour of Joe Calzaghe. <laughs> Judge Paul Thomas 
scores the contest 116 to 111 in favour of Robin Reed. And John Duggan scores the contest 116 to 111 in favour of the winner and still... Kawasaki wins it and I cannot believe that the judges had it that wide either way. Unbelievable that there was five rounds difference in all the judges. Now the 11th and 12th rounds were especially close and entertaining as both fighters went for broke to win this fight. Yeah, they, they certainly did, and it's definitely one oh, we, we both would recommend. I mean, this is the fight we did speak about with Anjo Kozaghi's career profile, and, and it's one that sort of thing was a bit split on. I think, I believe you might have even felt that Reid might have nicked it. Um, it was really close. However you want to view a fight, the beauty of boxing, you know, this is this is that fight. You could watch it if you like an aggressive style or if you like someone fighting the outside or, you know, even just, just trying to score a fight in general. It was a really tough one to call. I mean, I've watched this a couple of times now, and I still I can I can see why Reed could have won this. But Kawasaki got the win, obviously, and then and Joe's hand injury continued to hinder his training schedule uh, after that Reed fight as well. After he did get the win, um, and basically, it, you know, it was after sort of wins over Rick Thornbury, who was twenty three and two, and David Sterry, who was twenty two and one, that he actually contemplated and calling it a day because. His hands were really bad. They were shot, and that's that's the point. We're just alluding to. If you look at the earlier side of Kalzagi's career, you know, knocking down Eubank, obviously not stopping him, but knocking him down, and then knocking out a few of the other fellas after that, you know, and before it, if his hands weren't as shot as bad as they were, I'm sure he'd have had a lot more knockouts on his on his record. And on August the 12th, 2000, at the Wembley Conference Centre in London, Joe retained the WBO Super Middleweight title with a fifth round stoppage against Omar Sheikha, who was 20 and one. In a high-intense fight, that was great while it lasted. Although the referee probably did stop it a little bit prematurely. Now, the American was full of trash talk before the fight, which <laughs> got under Calzaghi's skin. Now, Sheikha had defeated Glenkoff Johnson, as we know, one of the great fighters and underrated fighters of the past 20 years. And that was Omar Sheikha's last fight before going into the fight with Calzaghi. So, he was full of confidence going into this fight against Joe Calzaghe. But it was another impressive performance from the Welsh Wizards. Of course, the jury was still out for his critics, claiming that he still lacked that big marquee name. Yeah, so, I mean, it's unusual. He's beaten Eubank, you know, he's, had, he's just beaten Robin Reed, and people are still putting it on him, saying that he hasn't had that marquee name. The trouble was, there wasn't anyone around at the time, and he was putting guys away that were put in front of him, and now Calzaghe... Finally moved to thirty and zero when he fought Richie Woodall, who's twenty six and two. Now this was the battle of the father trainer relationship with Len being in Woodall's corner and obviously Enzo being in Joe's, which is something they did mention in build up in the fight. And I do remember this fight as well. And Richie obviously was the former WBC super middleweight champion after he beat Fulani Melangai. Now that was the Melangai that just beat Robin Reed. So you know it's a vicious circle here, but. Richie lost to the three-time world champion as well after picking up that title against uh, Marcus Bayer. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting one, this Richie Woodall. I mean, we all know, we all see him now being a pundit and he, he breaks down fights really well. And Joe and Richie were good friends. So it was hard for them both to take this fight, you know, but it's the nature of the business. After putting Woodall down in the ninth, Kalzaghi punished the baggy, baggy's hero 
West Brom fan with his blistering hand speed, showing great ability to mix it to the head and the body in what was a top-class finish. And it really was a, a great stoppage for, for Joe Calzaghe, even though he had those hand problems. And we're joined now ringside by the victorious Joe Calzaghe. Joe, uh, congratulations. Uh, now that the fight is over and the pressure is off, so to speak, I can ask you just amongst friends here and hopefully a couple of million people watching in the United States of America. What was it like? How difficult was it to be in there with such a close friend like Richie Woodall? Yeah, it was difficult, but like we said, you know, we have split personalities when you get in that ring. Um, I, I, I admit, I did find it a bit awkward to start with because Richie's an excellent boxer. You know, he's a former world champion, very cagey, totally different fight than she could fight. I knew that I had a look for Richie and counter-punch him. I was made to miss a few times, but I showed my strength and my skill at the end to, to pull through. Were you surprised by anything that uh, Woodall did? Um, no, it's pretty enough. I knew it was going to be a tough fight before I started, and I knew a star would try and counter-punch me. For my liking, I got caught with too many right hands, but I was out of the ring for a long time before the Sheikah fight, so I'm just improving. I'm, I'm approaching my peak. My ultimate aim, as you know, is to fight Roy Jones Jr. He's looking for opponents, and if he's coming down to suit middleweight, I'm going to take him. Did did he uh, hurt you at any point in this fight? No, not at all, not at all. Um, maybe off balance a few times. You know, we've got the orthodox against the southpaw fighter. He's trying to move the one way, I'm trying to move the other way. But no, you know, I've proven through 29 fights, never been on the floor. I mean, I'm a granite chin. I just walk through walls, you know, I'm relentless. I keep attacking until I finish the opponent off. Well, you uh, touched on it before, a possibility of a fight with uh, Roy Jones Jr. If we can just uh, widen out and... Uh, Get a shot here of our promoter, uh, Frank Warren, as well here. Frank, let me uh, bring you into the mix here now with Joe. And uh, I know he would love a, a shot at uh, triple light heavyweight champion Roy Jones Jr. How close to a reality is that particular fight? Well, I've been talking and negotiating with Murad Mohammed, who at one time was uh, representing Roy. I've spoken to Roy personally. I've spoken to the Levin, the Levin brothers also. And I thought we were going to make the fight, but I hear through the grapevine that he may have signed with another network. Now, if he's done that, then obviously it's going to be very difficult to make the fight because Joe is a Showtime man, and that's where he's at. But uh, I hope he hasn't done that because it's a fight I think certainly everybody on this side of the pond would like to see. And I think now that the American public have got a, uh, a showing of Joe, they've seen Joe, I think, last week and this week, uh, they know what he's got, they know what he's capable of, and they know that he, he and Roy Jones will be a great fight. It would be a fight that the fans would want to see, and a real fight. It wouldn't be Roy picking his opponent. It would be a fight that the fans want. So after a routine win over the undefeated Mario Vitt, who was 30-0 in Cardiff, and the first-round knockout of Will McIntyre, who was 29-2 in Copenhagen, Calzaghe, who had actually a flair of flying, ventured out to New York, and he worked with Showtime for a bit of publicity and exposure in America. Now, following the trip to the States... Calzaghe took on tough American Charles Brewer, who was 37-8. and In another brilliant fight that was action-packed throughout, Calzaghe yet again showed his amazing hand speed, his high intensity and solid chin in one of the most entertaining fights of his career. Next was a unanimous decision against Miguel Angel Jimenez, who was 21-2, again back at the Cardiff Castle in Wales. It was a one-sided performance that was more remembered due to the stunning backdrop of the Cardiff Castle. Now, we also had... Up-and-coming Welsh fighters on that particular card with the likes of Enzo Macronelli, Gavin Rees, Alex Arthur and a certain Jeff Lacey also <laughs> featured on this card on the 17th of August 2002. So we move to December 2002 and the 14th of December back at Newcastle, Calzaghe stopped Tucker Pudwell, who was 39-4 in a two rounds on a card that also featured Ricky Hatton and Alex Arthur all on the same bill. 
In a two-round war against Byron Mitchell, who was 25-2-1, six months later, Calzaghe hit the deck for the first time in his pro career. Mitchell went in for the finish in the second, but was caught with an almighty left hook that put him down hard. Mitchell was valiant, of course, getting back onto his feet, but an assault from Calzaghe forced the referee to stop the contest. God, it was a stunning left hook, that almighty, unbelievable shot. Um, great, great shot and, and a great finish again, considering he'd been down there uh, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, on October 22nd, 2004. Calzaghe then outpointed Egyptian-American Kabrash Salim, who's 23 and 3, but was knocked down again for the second time in his career in the full frame with a right hand. But it was, you, I mean, you watched his fight, you can see it on YouTube, it was a bit of a flash knockdown, but he did return to his feet, obviously, knocking Salim down in the 12th and the final round. So, Calzaghe, you know, he's, he's having his moments, but take his eye off the ball at times against some guys that he probably was comfortable with and he just gets caught. But Calzaghe eventually travelled for the second time in his career to fight Mario Zit once again, who had now moved to 45-1 in the rematch in Germany. Now, although the fight went a little bit further than the first, because he'd done him in, was it, the first and second in the first one, he did take home in the sixth and then back in Cardiff before Lacey on September 10th, 2005, Joe battered Evans Ashia. Now, Evans Ashia was 24-1. He did go to 12-round distance, but Joe actually broke his hand. He sustained a broken hand in the third round and fought on with one hand to beat him point. So this was the fight leading into, obviously, Jeff Lacey. A really troubled time for Joe because the hand was in a bad way. It certainly was in a bad way, and obviously we've done a little bit of a dive into Joe Carzaghi's career. As I alluded to a little bit earlier on, if you do want to check out a more detailed profile on the life inside and outside of the ring of Joe Carzaghi, then go and check out our Career Profiles podcast over on any podcasting app. You can listen to the career profile of Joe Carzaghi and a little bit more detail about his career all the way from start to finish. So we move into Jeff Lacey's career, now and we put a bit of context to Jeff Lacey and what he did in the build-up to this particular fight and how his journey led to this particular fight against Kawasaki. So he did have a well-established amateur career. He actually fought in the 1996 Eastern Olympic Trials, the 1997 National Golden Clubs, finishing third in both. Now Lacey eventually went on to become the US National Amateur Champion in 1998 and the National PAL Amateur Champion in 1998 and 1999, all at £165. So the following year, he won the 2000 Olympic team trials and booked his seat on the plane to Sydney, Australia with a US Olympic boxing team that included future undisputed middleweight champion Jermaine Taylor. After winning the first two fights, one by knockout, and the other on points. He lost in his third bout when he was stopped in the third round by Gadbrek Gadbrekarov of Russia. So Lacey ended his amateur career with an impressive record of 209 wins with only 12 losses before turning over to the pros in 2001 with his trainer, Dan Birmingham. Yeah, it just shows you, I mean, that's a bit of a stellar amateur career there. Over 200 fights, losing well, only 12. I mean, that, that, that just shows you why the Americans got behind Lacey. Now, Lacey made his professional debut on February 2nd and won at the Celestine Centre in Columbus, Ohio, against Gerard Lowe, who was 2-2. Two two. So, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure what happened with his career. The fight was actually aired on the ESPN Friday Night Fights, and he was uh, and, and he dropped Lowe for the count with a single body shot in the first round. Lacey would go to win his next seven fights 
all by way of knockout before facing his toughest opponent, who was Glenn Thomas. Now, Glenn Thomas was 29 and 7. Now, he was a veteran American. He was 39 years old. Yes, he's, you know, he's getting on a little bit against this young protege. The Americans are going to be a, a future champion, but had gone the distance with some legendary names such as James Tony, Mike McCallum, Michael Nunn and Virgil Hill. Now, Lacey actually knocked Thomas out in the first round of a scheduled 10 rounder, which was his I believe it was his first 10 rounder as well. So just shows you that was a big win for him and it really put his name on the map. He was the first guy to stop Glenn Thomas when he was undefeated, which was Jones Jr. So just shows you that, you know, you can understand why Lacey was being touted as this, this big, big fighter, a future champion going into the Kawasaki fight. He was already being hyped up at this point as a real, real difficult guy to, to be getting in the ring with and an avoided fighter, so to speak. So... In his 10th fight, he actually travelled over to Wales and stopped Jason Collins in the first round at the Cardiff Castle on the same bill as Carl Zagid, the Jimenez fight, which we talked about a little bit earlier in August of 2002. He then returned to the States in his next fight and he won the WBC Continental America Super Middleweight title, going the full 12 round distance for the first time in his career against Ross Thompson, who was 25 6 and 1, winning via a points decision. Now, Lacey's 13th fight was yet another stoppage against James Crawford, who was 37 3 and 2 at the Pyramid in Memphis, which won him the vacant USBA Super Middleweight title. The significance was that he fought on the undercard of Mike Tyson for the second time. The first was the Tyson-Lewis spill at the same venue in the summer of 2002. With Tyson two fights away from retirement, it was around this time comparisons were actually being made between Jeff Lacey and Mike Tyson. His promoter, Gary Shaw, described him as a mini Mike Tyson due to his muscular physique, his knockout power, his tough upbringing and his size. Yeah, and that, 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 that stuck with him, what Gary Shaw said there. And it looked like he was going to be exactly what, what he built him as to be, this mini Mike Tyson, you know, in the lower divisions, this muscular physique and a ruthless streak. And another second round knock that came after that against Amwar Ashana, who was 23 and 2, before defending the WBC Continental America's USB and USB belts and capturing the NBA super middleweight titles after beating Richard Grant, who was 14 and 9. Now, if people don't remember Richard Grant, he beat him on the United decision. Um, he did actually suffer a cut as well, Lacey, in, in his left eye in round seven with an accidental headbutt. Now, this was the same Richard Grant that was actually sucker punched in the ring by that psychopath. James Butler, if, anybody, if no one has ever seen that, going off the subject here, but Richard Grant getting sucker punch at the end of it, bare knuckled as well. It was uh, pr- pretty crazy. But uh, Lacey returned to the ring after a five-month layoff due to a cut he sustained against Grant, where he actually would had to get 22 stitches. He returned to the ring, and he was back in Britain again, defending his titles at the MEN Arena in Manchester, obviously provided by Frank Warren, who was on the same bill as Ricky Hand against Ben Tacky. And he stopped fellow American Donnell Wiggins, who was 22-2 and two in the 8th round of December 2003. Yeah, it's quite evident when you look back on the history of what led into the fight between Calzaghe and Lacey is that Frank Warren was already sowing the seeds for this future fight to happen very early on, really. Obviously, bringing him over in 2002 on the undercard of the Calzaghe Jimenez fight. Then he brings him over on the Ricky Hatton-Bentaki fight as well. And, you know, when I think back to it, I do do vaguely recall Jeff Lacey on the undercards of, of of them particular bills and I obviously remember how handy he was back then but nothing would quite prepare me for, for how they built him up 
as we'll go into in the build-up of the fight. So, after this, a no contest followed against Vitaly Sipko, who was cut from an accidental head clash in June, just before Lacey challenged Canadian Sid Vanderpool on October the 2nd, 2004, at Caesars Palace for the IBF super middleweight title, which had become vacant after the defending champs, Fernotka, had retired from boxing. Now, a left hook and three big rights to the head had Vanderpool staggering around before referee Robert Bird stopped Vanderpool on his feet in the eighth round. Now, in Lacey's 17 fight, he defended the IBF title against Omar Sheikha, the guy that you heard about earlier, who Joe Calzaghe faced off against. At this point, he was 26-6. and six. Now, Lacey beat him on a points decision, and then two months later again, in May 2005, he beat Ruben Williams, who was 26-1, and one, with a one-sided TKO victory. Both fights were actually at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Now, in a landmark victory against the former world champion, and another mutual opponent with Joe Calzaghe, Robin Reed, who was 38-4-1. Lacey went on to knock Reed down twice in the fifth round, the first time he'd been down in his career and was deducted a point for headbutting. He was down once again in round six and then in seventh before deducted another point for holding, and after a one-sided beating, the referee stops the fight on the advice of Reed's corner after round number seven. It was this win that was so comprehensive that got people discussing the potential of a fight between Joe Calzaghe and Jeff Lacey, and with many pundits actually convinced that Lacey would not only beat the Welshman, but he'd knock him out too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, the fact that Robin Reed was the fight that really, it, it got people to, I mean, obviously Lacey had done it, you know, he had done really well to this point, but to even be thinking about competing against a guy like Joe Calzaghe, I mean, people are knocking Calzaghe's resume, I felt that Joe Calzaghe's resume was a lot better than Lacey's, but, you know, the fact was is that the Americans and British pundits at the time and the experts, if you want to call them that, they felt that Calzaghe was not only going to get beat, he's going to get absolutely drummed. And, and it's crazy. I mean, the fact is, is that Calzaghe fought and defeated Robin Reed in a close fight, which was said, go back and watch, please do. It was a tired fight, but it was six years before this. So, you know, the fact that didn't even matter. And Calzaghe was now being considered nothing more than a gatekeeper and, and holding a title for this new superstar that was coming through the division, which was Jeff Lacey. And Jeff Lacey actually ended up having one more fight before the Calzaghe fight, and that was against 38-year-old American Scott Pembleton, who was 29-3-1, knocking him out in two rounds in Nevada on November 5th, 2005. Now, that was the actual original date that was scheduled for Lacey Calzaghe. Jeff, congratulations. How about that? Oh, it was great. I said, like it was saying, this this fight between me and Scott Permington, he was being ducked. I was being ducked. It was only good that he got his shot at his first shot at the world title, and I was happy to give it to you. It's a pleasure. Well, everybody thought that you might be looking past this fight, and that there was great disappointment coming in tonight because you had hoped to be overseas in the United Kingdom. Is there disappointment? And how do you feel about not having the opportunity to fight Calzaghe? You know what? The more disappointment is that we're not able to see on this night who is the best super middleweight champion of the world is. Um, the second is, you know, we never know if Calzaghe going to step up or um, anybody's going to step up in the super middleweight division. And it, the, time is, is the time will tell. In my 2006 year, I'm looking for big names. Why do you think he won't fight you? Why do you think that you were on the brink and, and then he says he got hurt? 
Well, he, I mean, he says he got hurt, but, you know, it's it still the contract was over before he took the fight. And on top of that, it was two months out when I had, I had to take the fight with Robin Rio. They was going to strip me for my title. I'm in the business to keep these titles. I mean, that's what we fight for, right? I mean, I'm not going to want the, the, the type of fighter that's going to drop a belt in the garbage and, and, and go fight a bigger money, money fight. I want to fight the fans who the fans want to see me fight. What will you do on your end to ensure that this fight comes off? Well, the only thing I can do is can stay, stay consistent with, with being on Showtime and, and, and staying in the public's eye. I mean, I need to get as much experience as I can. I'm a young uh, world titleist. And in the event that it doesn't come off against Calzaghe, would you move up and, and maybe Antonio Tarver? Well, of course. That's who I want. I want Antonio Tarver. Um, Calzaghe, if Calzaghe don't step up, Cal I would love to fight um, Antonio Tarver. Are there any excuses between the two? Interesting, very interesting facts there uh, about that particular fight. And as he was rightly pointing out, yeah, comparisons were being made about victories that Lacey had gained and the, the fashion that he'd gained him in. And I think what people fail to remember about that is when Joe Calzaghe fought Robin Reed, it was 1999, when Robin Reed took on Jeff Lacey, it was way past his best. And I think it was quite evident he was way past his best at this point. So it wasn't really the same Robin Reed he went and did a number on to be honest with you and I think people do forget that however the critics and the pundits at the time were really heavily backing Jeff Lacey as a potential guy to dethrone Joe Calzaghe so it leads us nicely into that build-up and as you rightly pointed out the scheduled unification fight was actually originally set for that date in Nevada but was cancelled due to the break sustained in the metacarpal in Calzaghe's left hand. Now Warren successfully managed to reschedule the fight for March the 5th, 2006. So the two unbeaten world champions faced off in a rare unification match in front of 16,000 fans in Manchester. This was the biggest super middleweight fight since Jones Jr. defeated James Tony in 1994. We're the two biggest names in the super middleweight division. This is the first fight I've ever been in where I've had something else to gain. Jeff Lacey's ABF belt. Let's put it all on the line and let's do it. If you look at his fights, you wouldn't call him a slapper? I don't think he's nothing spectacular. To me, he's not a 50-55. I'm the better fighter. I haven't been beaten. I'm going to knock him out. This is the stardom for me. This is where it all begins. This is not a money fight for Joe Calzaghe. This is for my boxing. This is career-defining fight. And this is, you know, testing myself. It's only me and him. And that's what it all going to boil down to. If I go in that ring and fight my fight, I'll win. Don't get my cockiness confused with my confidence. I'm I'm very confident fighter. I prepare to be confident the way I am. And don't get it mixed up. Well, it's incredible really that it was it's almost like what, a decade later, over a decade later and and Calzaghe actually injured his right wrist in sparring. Actually eight to nine days, I believe he he couldn't quite he weren't specific enough, but he said eight or nine days before the fight. He went to Harley Street in London to have an injection and basically thought he was enough to pull out the fight. Now, it was his dad, Enzo Calzaghe, that said to him or convinced him, along with Frank Warren, but Enzo convinced him by saying, if you pull out, the chance won't come again. You have to fight, even with one hand. And, and Enzo was bang on. I mean, he felt that he, even though Calzaghe had this bad hand, that he felt, you know, I think it was his left hand that he injured and in the right wrist. So he was in a bit of a bad way in both hands. More or less, the left was obviously the worst one, but... I don't think he, he made it public knowledge that he had actually injured his wrist until sort of well after the fight. But he did take it, obviously. And, and someone actually woke up Calzaghe as well just before the fight was about to begin, which was quite funny in a hoax call. 
And they rang him up while he was asleep and, and they said, Lace is going to get you, Lace is going to get you. But Joe just laughed it off. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, we hear this with the old football games as well, with some of the teams getting woken up with loud noises. And obviously someone over in America thought it would be a bit of a laugh to wake him up and try and disrupt that rhythm. But I don't think Joe was in that frame of mind that it's going to bother him. And I, I just felt that Joe was always going to be, he was going to be on top of his game that night and, and it proved. But we'll, we'll go into that later. I think the story that's quite prominent here in the build-up to this particular fight is the the issue with his right wrist sparring and obviously the issues that he had with his hands years before and then having to have injections in his hands. And this is stuff that we didn't know at the time. And obviously, that information would never be released by a fighter because obviously then the likelihood is the fight's going to be pulled and this... They knew this was going to be the biggest fight of his career. They knew this was the biggest test of his career. It was completely written off for this fight by by many a pundit as well, and many a pundit from the UK as well. So this was this was huge, and for him to to be able to go in the ring that night and, as we discussed, do what he did for me in hindsight seems uh, totally totally unbelievable because the fact that he injured himself quite badly and. As we said, it's been so many issues as we've talked about in his career in the lead up to this with his hands. It's, this, I think, this is a lot of why people started to nickname him the Slapper, especially Americans. The Americans in the build up to this were saying, "Yeah, he's, uh, he just slaps when he throws his punches. He's a slapper," and obviously, it's, it's known as something else over here in the UK. But the Americans labelled him a slapper, which is quite amusing. But that's certainly, certainly what Joe Calzaghe wasn't. He certainly wasn't a slapper, indeed. So. It was 33 at the time this fight happened on the 4th of March 2006. It was the longest reigning British world champion in history, holding the WBO super middleweight title for eight and a half years since defeating Chris Eubank. And this was the career-defining contest that the Welshman had been craving in his 18th defence of the title. And then Jeff Lacey was from the mean streets of South Florida as the IBF super middleweight champion. He arrived in Manchester a week before the fight and was in confident move, calling Calzaghe a slapper and predicting a knockout. It was being compared to a young Mike Tyson. Lacey's knocking everybody out. He'd won seven of his fights by a first-round KOs. He was even given the Sports Illustrated six-pack for the year and was supposed <laughs> to be a star in the making. So this is the type of hype that we're getting here. We've got a couple of pre-fight quotes to go through now. This is Jeff Lacey on his attitude pre-fight. Don't get my cockiness confused with my confidence. I'm a very confident fighter. I prepared to be confident, so don't get it mixed up. Lacey continued, I'm going to knock him out. I didn't come over here for any decision. I am confident that I'm going to knock him out. This is only the start for me. This is where it all begins. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because we know the outcome of it. I'm guessing he's saying he's confident. <laughs> Lacey, uh, obviously, calling, as you mentioned, calling Calzaghe a slapper. He did actually go on to say, if you look at all of his fights, you wouldn't call him a slapper. It's something that everyone knows. As a fighter, I see it. And he sh- and he should see it. I didn't say every one of his shots were were a slapper, but he slaps. So <laughs> that was <laughs> his way of putting that. Yeah, he's a slapper. So Lacey also was he was questioning on, on the atmosphere and whether the atmosphere is going to get to him. And he said that crowd w- don't win the fight. The crowd isn't going to be in the ring to help help him throw any punches at me. Joe is in there with me and me alone, just me and him. That's what it's going to boil down to at the end of the day. And, and I, I, I make him right, but let's just get it right here that 
atmospheres. Okay, they don't win your fights, but and they probably shouldn't, considering that two fighters are in the ring, it's just the two guys. But let's be honest, an atmosphere can ruin the fighters' preparation. Or all preparation goes out the window as soon as they hear that crowd. And, and I think that was a bit of bit of part of it for Lacey. I think he got a little bit overawed of it all. So Calzaghi speaks about the significance of this particular fight in the lead up. I've beaten the best that I've been put in front of me. I've beaten six former world champions. This is the first fight that I have ever been in where I've got something else to gain, and that is Lacey's IBF belt. So he also talked about what this defining night was going to be for him. People doubt me and say that I pick my fights and I haven't beaten anybody. This has shattered everything because this is not a money fight. This is for my boxing. This is a career defining fight and a test to myself obviously he's a big puncher he's strong and he's quite useful on the inside and he throws fast combinations if you give him the range he's quite dangerous with it and he's quite dangerous with that uppercut but he doesn't have the speed and i have the speed and the jab yeah and 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 he was he was confident he didn't knock lacy in any way he was he was always respected respected him and I think Lacey on the other hand was a little bit disrespectful and I think his team around him probably didn't help him and, and Calzaghi you know he had he had been around long enough and it, you know he knew he had made mistakes in the past and that's when he went on to say I have to p- play a patient game in this fight and I believe in the middle rounds I will come into my own I am the better fighter but I have made mistakes in the past and been caught from it so you know, that was alluding to the two knockdowns in his career, and I think that's what people were looking at. Two guys that were pretty, you know, that they weren't average, but they, they were better, they were decent fighters, but they had caught him and he'd been put down. He wasn't put down in any real trouble, but he was put down, and, and obviously, you know, that showed for, for other people looking at it on the outside is that Lacey, if he lands that left hook, Calzaghi's not getting up, and I think that's where those pundits and experts were coming out and saying that Lacey was the favourite. It's Judgment Day at Manchester's MEN Arena. Two unbeaten world champions face a rare unification fight. A 16,000 crowd have come in from a freezing night. The fight is going live, coast to coast in the United States. Joe Calzaghe is the longest reigning British world champion in history. It's eight and a half years since he beat Chris Eubank to win the WBO super middleweight crown. This is the career-defining contest that the unassuming Welshman has been yearning for. It's the 18th defence for the 33-year-old Southpaw. Jeff Lacey, from the mean streets of St. Petersburg in Florida, is the IBF champion. Left hook Lacey arrived in England a week before the fight. He was brash and very confident, calling Calzaghe a slapper and predicting a knockout. 28-year-old Lacey has 21 wins. He's knocked out just about everybody he's faced. He's been compared to a young Mike Tyson and is convinced that he will unify those titles. Another little bit of side note detail, again, from our last legendary night with Hatton versus Zoo. That fight was staged at 2am in the morning to accommodate for the American TV company Showtime. And guess what? So was this one as well. This one was also <laughs> staged at 2am local time for us to broadcast it over in Showtime at their peak time as well. So although the fight scheduled for the 4th of March, it actually took place for us on the 5th of March. So the fight, of course, was billed as Judgment Day. Promoter was obviously Frank Warren. It was broadcast on ITV Sport and Showtime, and it was at the Manchester Arena, as was known as the MEN Arena. The referee was Raul Caez Sr., and the judges was Roy Francis. 
a certain Adelaide bird from the USA and Nelson Vasquez from Puerto Rico. And the titles on the line in this particular fight was the IBF held by Lacey, the WBO held by Kazagi, the ring and lineal super middleweight titles. So the fight's on now and both guys have got themselves into the ring. People are still doubting Kazagi at this point. But I think what they're about to see they would have never have known back then. And I would never have known what I was about to see on this particular night. But what we were going into now is is probably one of the most masterful boxing performances in a British fight ring. It really is. I honestly believe this is an outstanding performance from a British boxer over on the, obviously on the British, on British soil. But it was just an absolute masterclass and... I mean, we'll, we'll break, try and break this fight down as best we can. You know, the fact was was that Joe Calzaghe was the underdog and it was the only time he's ever the underdog. And he was dying to get this marquee name. And it was Jeff Lacey that was around at the time. Obviously, he's coming. We broke down his career. He was a guy that came in that probably, I still don't, I mean, I look back at it now. It's, I mean, in hindsight, it's, it's a great thing. You look back at him and think, how on earth did anyone ever think that Calzaghe was going to lose his fight? But, you know, he's just a, an absolute masterclass. And, and I mean, even Calzaghe himself, he said when he woke up, he, he woke up a little bit early and he looked outside, it was snowing. He was a little bit tired as well when he was tired throughout the day and he was a bit worried about his hand. And then when he, as soon as he made his way into the MEN arena and he said that he just went, the adrenaline kicked in and he felt awake and alive and he was relaxed and he was so relaxed. And even Enzo was saying to him, because he'd never been that relaxed, are you all right, Joe? But... He was in great mind and a great mindset and, and, you know, you look at it now, you read the stories about Joe and what Joe said and Lacey himself for the vague bits of information he does, he gives and goes, he gives us, but it was pretty clear that there was only going to be one winner this, for this fight. Round one starts off, Calzaghe taking the fight to Lacey from the sound of the bell, throwing combinations, slipping shots and ducking under every punch that Lacey was throwing, then landing the combinations of his own when in rage. He was caught with the right hand, but it didn't seem to hurt Calzaghe. It certainly got his attention, though. And as we moved into rounds two and three, Calzaghe's speed, his movement and his angles were already deceiving Lacey, who continued to look for that big punch. I think it's quite clear, looking back, that his team hadn't worked on a plan B. He continued to try and fake his way in quickly and land that famous left hook, but Calzaghe was he's able to evade or ride the shots. He, he actually looked quite untouchable after the end of round three. Yeah, and, and round three for the fight, if anyone hasn't seen it, it is a brilliant round for Calzaghe. He's outstanding. I, I honestly don't think Lacey even actually lands on him. It is almost, it's, it, I'm no doubt it does, but it is literally just a dominant, dominant round. And, and in round four, Lacey was cut under his right eye about a minute in the fourth round, and, and, and he looked to be enduring a bit of a torrid time in there. And Calzaghe continued to dance around him, and he was landing with those flurries of punches and. It just looked quite awesome. After that third round, it just continued into the fourth. And then again, into the sort of round five and six, he was, Calzaghe, he was just more mobile. And he was well on top. And by the end of that fifth round, he actually had his hands down by, by his side. And he was actually inviting Lacey in to try and, you know, throw his left hook and try and catch him and, and, and baiting the American to come in and throw that punch. And, and when he did, Calzaghe was slipping it, moving out of the way. And Calzaghe ended up landing a combination of 10. I mean, I count 10. I think I've, I've, I sort of had a look myself and watched the fight back. It was about 10 unanswered punches as he ended that first half of that of the sixth round and, and that first half of the fight. And, and basically, he had won every one of those rounds. And it was looking like it was only going one way. And 
and Lacey was in all sorts of trouble. So round seven and eight, Lacey, he does offer a little more at the start of the seventh, but it's Calzaghi again who ends the round with a couple of clubbing lefts, which had the American, who had never been on the deck at this point, rocking against the ropes. Calzaghi was putting together a ridiculous amount of punches with pinpoint accuracy. The eighth was even more until Calzaghi finished it with another flurry of punches. So round seven and eight is just becoming more dominant in the fight and starting to look quite one-sided from, from an outsider's perspective. So rounds nine and ten gets interesting because Lacey actually lands a flush left hook in the ninth. But Joe Calzaghi takes it and dishes out his own punishment by rocking the American time and time again. By this point, again, the fight's becoming more and more punishing for Jeff Lacey, and it seemed quite unnecessary to allow him to continue. You'd, you'd think, looking back at it at this point, surely the referee should have stepped in, or or even his corner should have stepped in to save him for a continued beating. And they obviously had to make the decision in the corner, and they obviously decided to continue with the fight in the hope that he could turn it around with just that one punch, maybe that trademark left hook. I think in hindsight, yeah. his team must look back on it and think, if we would have pulled him out in this fight, what would his career would have looked like afterwards? Yeah, and, and I think that's that's absolutely bang on it. And I think as well, with, you know, in them, those middle rounds, he was all bloodied, he was cut, you know, his blood coming out of his eyes, blood coming out of his nose, his eyes was puffy, he just... It looked like a bloody mess and, you know, you're going into sort of rounds nine and ten and you must be thinking, like, look, come on, is there any point in allowing him to continue? So, I mean, you just mentioned in that there, the corner, they must have felt that it was just, it was all about that left hand, that, that maybe that was the only way that, you know, he was going to win this fight and they, that they obviously felt that, you know, that was something he was going to do. And, I mean, even Joe Calzaghi even said that there were a few occasions where it could have been stopped like at the end of the seventh, when the re- and when the referee Raul Kiaz Cena sort of helped him helped him out a little bit with, with the bandages because the bandages come off his wrists and they were a bit loose and they give him a little bit more time, but it just it was just an absolute pacing and I just didn't quite understand why they let it continue. I mean, it was a it was a dominating display from from Calzaghi and, and moving into round sort of eleven and twelve, Calzaghi was actually docked a point by the referee as well for a, a bit of a backhander. I mean, that's probably the only round you could give to Lacey. But to be quite honest with you, I probably scored it as a draw round rather than a, a 10-9 round or a 10-8 round in any way to Lacey. So, you know, it was, it was just it was just an absolute pounding. I mean, it was an absolute class display, the way he was circling from in the right and sort of slipping under Lacey's shots. And Calzaghi dominated again in the final minute he put Lacey on the canvas and he put him down for the first time in his career. And, and I think even from this point, the towel could have just come in and, and stopped it because it looked like, for me, when I was watching back on it and even when I watched it live, was Calzaghi's going to stop him here? Uh, and what's the point? But, it, I mean, just a great, masterful display from Calzaghi. You know, the spring in his step, the snap in his punches. It's Lacey who's obviously the desperate one. And the, the desperate man can often be hurt, but he can be dangerous. But Calzaghi's a fighter through and through. Can Calzaghi take him out, even at this late stage? He's got him again. Got him again. Watch Lacey's legs, they're gone. Referee looks like he might step in here, John. He's gone, John. He's absolutely gone. Referee's got him intervene. Look at his punches. I'm absolutely fantastic by Calzaghi. And the referee has a look. Lacey says, come on. 
After after knocking him down for the first time in his career, he does manage to get back up, gets back to his feet, makes it through to the end. But yeah, there was no doubt he was a beaten man. Not only was the beating physically savage, but it must have been psychologically damaging to him as well. And the scorecards reflected the performance really. Oh, yeah, Roy Francis and Adelaide Bird scored it one nineteen one oh seven to Calzaghe and Nelson Vasquez scored it one nineteen one oh five all in favour of Calzaghe. It was an absolutely utterly dominating performance and some of the stats afterwards kind of tell the story really. Calzaghe actually landed three hundred and fifty one of his nine hundred and forty eight punches, which is thirty seven percent, and Lacey landed one hundred and sixteen of four hundred and forty four thrown, which was twenty six percent. So I think the punch stats tell you there how dominating it really was for, for Carl Zaghi on that night. And he said straight after the fight, the better the opponent, the better I perform. I have to perform against the best operators to get the best out of me. I performed well. He is a world-class fighter. But I bet I won every single round. Joe Calzaghi, you were sensational tonight. You said he was made for you. Not everybody believed you. You were spot on. Yeah, well, I'm so... I can't explain how happy I am at the moment, you know... Um, this is a fight, and me and Frank, we've been after this fight to, to bring out. It's already said, a better opponent, a better perform. You know what I mean? I have to perform against the best operators, then you see the best of uh, Joe Calzaghe. So I think I, I performed well. You know, he's a world class fighter, and I, I think I won every single round. You know, and, and I was in great shape. Thanks to my dad. He is, without him, I wouldn't be here today. He's a great trainer, great dad, loving a bit. Um, yeah, thanks, for, thanks to Joe. Uh, thanks to my, you know, my little kids, Joe and Connor. Uh, see you Monday. I love you both. Listen, you gave him a boxing lesson. You boxed his head off in there. It must have been the performance of your life. I knew I had to box because the only chance he had was to stand toe-to-toe. I slipped up a few times nearly. Barry Mitchell fight, Charles Brewer fight. My dad told me, you're going to need to box this guy. I think I showed everybody tonight I'm a better boxer than I'm a fighter. I spoke to Barry. Barry said the same for Frank. I had to keep on the back foot, jab, move, boxing skills. And thank God, I, uh, I think I've done good. He did, mate. <laughs> 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 he did. He also said as well, I knew I had to box because the only chance he had was to stand toe-to-toe. I know I had to box because the only chance he had was to stand toe-to-toe. Calzaghe continued, oh. eight years, I've been champion and I've been written off by a lot of people. This fight has been in my mind morning, noon and night. I demolished him and outclassed him. His punches didn't trouble me in the slightest. <laughs> I was expecting more. I saw them coming from miles away. I knew he was going to win the fight. How was that for a slapper? Those slaps had his legs going all over the place. <laughs> Come on, love it, love it. Absolutely love that. And Kozaghi, I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing better than when you hear a fighter slagging the other guy off. You know, Kozaghi was respectful, didn't slag him off once, and he absolutely paced him. So at the time when I watched the fight, I did actually feel a little bit sorry for Lacey. But actually, in fact, you know, when you read the pre-fight, sort of talk before around you sort of think uh, you know it's your own fault mate yeah moving on to the, to the fight press conference after Lacey's uh, promoter Gary Shaw came out and said losing sucks it wasn't to be he went up against the better man 
They had a game plan and Jokes executed game plan and Jeff didn't execute Dan's, as in Dan Birmingham's game plan. The plan was not to throw one overhand right. Jeff is still a young fighter and hasn't had the experience Joe has had. I'm not making any excuses. This is a bitter pill for me to swallow. Joe should now get fights like Roy Jones Jr. and Tava. And for me, he beats them both hands down. So Lacey's trainer, Dan Birmingham, said, I've never seen a better performance by any boxer, an American, never mind a Brit. It was a clinic. It took him to school. A performance like Winky Wright puts on, a masterful job, a master of defence and timing. My hat is off to him. Jeff wasn't hurt. He was discouraged. We had more than two plans, but when your fighter won't execute them, what can you do? So it sounds like a little bit like his trainer kind of blames Jeff Lacey for, for that performance and, and, and points the finger a little bit there as to, as to why the performance was so crap, basically, why he didn't have anything other than what he came out with on that particular night. Dan Raphael, who was working for ESPN at the time, he wrote, There were barely words to describe Kalzaghi's absolute and thorough dominance of Lacey. It was that awesome. Kalzaghi fought a sublime masterpiece in a bout that beforehand he called the defining fight of his career. He sure picked a great time for the best performance of his life, one that will surely see him crash the pound-for-pound rankings he has so desperately wanted to be a part of. This was as impressive as Bernard Hopkins over Felix Trinidad, Floyd Mayweather over Diego Corrales, and then some. Simply put, Kalzaghi fought the perfect fight in making his 18th title defence and adding Lacey's world title to his own. And even the great Sugar Ray Leonard, who admitted to knowing little of Calzaghi before this fight, said, Within two rounds, I was a Calzaghi supporter. I stood up in front of the TV shouting, Wow, look at this guy. And that is death, I mean, for Sugar Ray Leonard to be coming out and saying that. I'm sure that, that put an even bigger smile on Joe Calzaghi's face. And it really was a sublime performance. And, and Dan Raphael summed up perfectly. I thought I had to go in there because I think he was the best person that summed up Joe Kelzaghi's performance. And I think, uh, I think it was right to, to mention his, his, his little article there because I thought that was a, a great addition to just, just to show everybody just how good the fight was and how good of a performance that was for Joe Kelzaghi. And if you haven't seen it, you know, please go back and have a look at it. If you want to see one of the best performances from a British fighter, in a boxing ring, I think this is it, mate. I, honestly, I don't think there was a better performance over 12 rounds in recent years than this against Jeff Lacey. No, I agree. An absolute masterful and dominant performance. The defining night of Joe Calzaghi's career. But in the aftermath of that, it did lead on to bigger fights for him. On October the 14th, 2006, he took on the tough Cameroon Australian Saki Obika. And it was a bit of a dirty fight. Two points were deducted from Beaker for headbutts, uh, which led to a severe cut over Calzaghi's left eye. And it caused him problems for the duration of that bout. However, Calzaghi won the fight by clear decision to continue his undefeated run. Now, he also went to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff to take on a certain Mikhail Kessler, one of the other career-defining performances for Joe Calzaghi in my eyes. I think this was an absolute brilliant fight against Kessler, and a Kessler in his prime that, looking back on it now in hindsight, seems like a, a fantastic achievement looking at what Kessler went on to do. Now, Kessler was actually the WBA 
world champion at this point. So the bout took place at Cardiff's Millennium Stadium on November the 4th. The fight was a unification fight for the WBO, the ring, WBA Super and WBC Super Middleweight titles. And Calzaghe went on to win via unanimous decision, surpassing the 20 title defences made by Bernard Hopkins and Larry Holmes at middleweight and heavyweight respectively. I'm with you. That, that win against Mikel Kessner, I think later on you realise just how, how much of a good win that was for him and, and one that's a little bit overlooked. But yeah, he did obviously went on and we, we know on, on, on April 19, 2008 at the Thomas and Max Centre in Las Vegas, Kazaga defeated Bernard Hopkins to win the ring light heavyweight championship by a split decision after being put down in that first round as well, which was it was a great performance for him. And, and again, uh, I actually I actually didn't see this fight. I remember having to listen to this and uh, Mike Costello on the radio, but, you know, Costello could call a great fight and, and Calzaghe defeated Bernard Hopkins. And uh, again, one we mentioned in the career profiles where uh, I think, did he, did Bernard Hopkins say he's never going to lose to a white fellow or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's just bittersweet. Again, it for Joe, great victory for him, really. And then Hopkins, you know, as I say, I mean, Calzaghe didn't have to do a great start. He got put down in that first round, but he went on to win the fight convincingly for me. And it was a, a great performance from Joe once again. Just that that significant marquee name, and once again, just to establish himself as one of the best in British, in British boxing, if not world boxing. No, definitely. The win over Hopkins was very significant. And what we put into context now is the fact that that win over Bernard Hopkins is even greater knowing that Bernard Hopkins goes on to then beat Kelly Pavlik in his next fight and beat the undefeated Kelly Pavlik and show that he isn't finished yet. And obviously Bernard Hopkins goes on and, and, and wins a world title again at the age of 46. So just to put that into perspective there, that just goes to show you that that win over Hopkins was very significant. And people were saying... It's not significant because, oh, Hopkins is an old man. But, yeah, look what he went to do after the loss to Calzaghe. That just kind of proves to you that he certainly wasn't finished yet. And in Calzaghe's final fight of his career, he finally took on the man that everybody would have loved to have seen him fight, prime for prime. It was Roy Jones Jr. Now, it was the 39-year-old version of Roy Jones Jr. against the 36-year-old version of Joe Calzaghe. They finally got it on for the Ring Light Heavyweight Championship in New York City. On the 20th of September 2008 on HBO pay-per-view, Jones is obviously coming on, coming back here and yet again, as we've covered in his career profile, go and check out that on the Career Profiles podcast, he's coming off a win over Felix Trinidad, looking like he's on on the spin here, looking like he's coming back for one more big fight, and, and this essentially was that big fight, but it started out like a bit of a nightmare yet again for Joe Calzaghe, because he, he gets knocked down again with a flash knockdown in the first round, but then goes on to put on another masterful performance, getting... 118 109 on all three judges' cards, and then deciding to make the decision after this fight to retire. Yeah, and, and rightly so. He wanted to get those two fights, those those two extra marquee names that he was chasing. I mean, you just mentioned Pavlik, obviously losing to, to Hopkins. That was a fight that Calzaghe was looking at, and obviously with Hopkins beating him, it sort of that made Hopkins that 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 automatic step. But obviously those two big names, Hopkins and and Jones Jr. with the two man. But yeah, I mean. What a great career for, from from Joe Joe Calzaghe, and you know I can't you can't not put this guy in the top ten for UK fighters, and he will go down. I mean he's, he finished undefeated, which is something you've got to look at considering the guys he fought. We've mentioned a couple of fights again. You know, check out the Robin Reid fight because that is one fight that is really close. I think that's close to fight, and I think he could have easily got a loss that night. But what a fantastic fighter! 
And again, check out the career profile of Joe Tarzegis. We do go into good detail on that and in his life. So I think in the aftermath now, we cover Jeff Lacey and how this fight with Carl Zaghi was very significant for him as well and, and defining in some ways and not defining in the way that you expect when you use the word define. This was defining in the sense that this was the beginning of the end. This loss to Carl Zaghi really marked the beginning of the end. After getting beat off Carl Zaghi, he come back with three straight victories, one of them being Peter Manfredo Jr. And then he goes on to fight Jermaine Taylor in 2008, losing to Jermaine Taylor. His next big fight was against Roy Jones Jr. in 2009, losing to Roy Jones Jr., and then, again, it's just a mixed bag of tricks, really. He then goes on to, to lose to Ulf, Ulf Hairsmith, wins against Martin Verdin, loses again, and then gets another victory and another loss on his record, finally retiring in 2015 from the professional circuit against Sullivan Barrera. Although I thought he was retired in 2015, but in actual fact, it was last year, 2019, where... He was proposing to make a comeback on a very, very small show in the UK. And I mean small. I mean literally like community centre small or leisure centre small. It was posters going around of him coming back to fight a former British fighter, Tony Dodson, who'd retired a couple of years before. And it was quite sad to see that he was still going at this point. So for Jeff Lacey, this night against Calzaghe was... You think he would have gone on to be able to rebuild from that, but the beating he took against Calzaghe, I think, certainly took a massive chunk of his his soul psychologically. He was never the same after this. It, it wasn't the same. It really wasn't. And and I think like the point we, we were just mentioning sort of during the fight is that I, I honestly believe that the corners are taking him out. You know, we we speak a lot about fighters that they they become old quickly. I mean, I think it was it was he twenty eight or something like that. Either way, you know, it wasn't it was still quite young. But the fact was he thought he, he was absolutely battered. There was there was nothing. And I mean the corner should be they, they did not understand what Lace was all about. They couldn't have because they should have just pulled him out. He had lost the fight. They could have saved him for another day. I think those extra two rounds when Calzade like was going to stop in the eleventh and the twelfth, I think those were the that that was the time when they needed to just throw the towel in. Even when he went down and then he got back up again. I mean, he, he went out on his shield. And, you know, that that alone, you know, you've got to give him credit for that. He, he suffered a beat and continued to take it. But it was so one-sided. It wasn't even close. There wasn't even a round he could have given to Lacey other than the one where, where well, Kazagi got to duck to the point in the 11th. Other than that, I mean, let's be honest. It, 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 I, I honestly have to... I, the, the call has to take some responsibility. And I, I believe that they were part of the reason why... Jeff Lacey wasn't able to be to perform better after the Kazaki fight. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree, and I think we recovered it quite extensively a little bit earlier on. But just to sort of come back to that one more time, that is the reason for me. That is the ultimate reason as to why Jeff Lacey ended up going on a bit of a spiral downwards in his career because of the fact that he should have been pulled out of that fight a lot sooner, and he shouldn't have been made to go the distance in that fight with a with a hope that he'd land that left hook and. He was just absolutely outclassed and beaten and all that confidence he had before the fight must have been completely shattered and it's quite evident in his record after the Calzaghe fight that he was never able to be the same again. And you'd think after losing to Joe Calzaghe, you'd think, oh, maybe he could come back and win a world title again and he just never was the same again and he's so unfortunate that when I seen that fight poster going around last year of him fighting on a really, really small show in the UK, it just made me feel like 
he's, he must be struggling. He must be struggling in life for him to have to do that and to be brought over to the UK to fight on a very, very small show. The once IBF super middleweight champion of the world, the guy referred to as a mini Mike Tyson, and yet he's fighting on a really small backstreet show down in London. And I just felt really, really sad for him. So it just goes to show you that some of these legendary nights that we cover can be absolutely glorious for some of the fighters and, and be absolutely sad for for some of the others, and in this case, it's Jeff Lacey. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and but a great, great night for, for Joe, and, and one that he needed, really needed that fight because you know, although you know, he didn't get the Collins fight, Collins retired, he did get the Eubank fight. He had some other fights after. Obviously, he had the, the Hopkins and the, the Jones Junior fights, which is two of the, another two of the final fight. The Kessler fight again just shows you how much of a you know a good a good win that was. Looking at what Kessler went on to do, and and yeah, just you know, I mean. Check out the career profiles of Joe Calzaghe. I mean, it's a good one. And, and obviously, you know, Jeff Lacey was just undone against a world-class operator and Joe Calzaghe on the night who was just in buoyant mood. And, and no doubt, it, although it was a defining night, it was probably the most spectacular night of boxing uh, that I've ever seen from Joe Calzaghe and, and one that I finally remember. So I hope you've all enjoyed listening to the tale of Calzaghe versus Lacey. I've really thoroughly enjoyed going back, looking through the career of Joe Calzaghe and looking at the build-up to this fight and the fight itself, such a masterful performance. One of the great British defining nights for boxing history. If you've enjoyed it, please let us know. Go and tweet us at Legend Night Pod on Twitter or check the Facebook page out, BTR Boxing Podcast. Check out all the latest series. We've plugged it a few times on the episode, but we can't highly recommend enough the Career Profiles podcast and the Joe Calzaghe episode to get more of an insight into some of them earlier days, the life inside and outside of the ring, and more of an in-depth conversation between myself and Johnston about how we felt about Joe Calzaghe as a super middleweight and as a light heavyweight and where we sort of see him in pictures of, of, of his career and his legacy. So if you've enjoyed it, as always, please let us know on Apple Podcasts as well by leaving us a rating and leaving us a review because it truly helps the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Legendary Nights. This was the tale of Calzaghe versus Lacey. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened, it happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. in right hand shot. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.